Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to just try to you know, make some concluding comments there at the end of the 12th chapter as we get into the 13th chapter today. We are in this section of Romans you know, where you know, instructions are being given to the man of faith that has put on Christ and is being renewed in Christ so that his life is being transformed. And so there's a number of instructions that the gospel gives about living our life each and every day for Christ. And so as we get into our concluding point, we just kind of had to very quickly end last week as we were trying to finish up the 12th chapter. In In the closing verses there, you have this idea of God's righteousness that is to be governing our decisions, our, our attitudes, our actions. And it is that righteousness that tempers, that governs our interactions with other people. If you think about how chapter 12 began, the whole idea of being transformed through the renewing of mind, it is the gospel of Christ that does transform us. It transforms our mind, it transforms our heart, it transforms our body, and as a result, when we are truly transformed, that enables us to really to do some hard things. It enables us to actually do what is usually the opposite of the way the world reacts. And so some of the things that are brought out in these concluding verses, one is the idea of Christ-mindedness desires what is good even for your enemy. But not just your enemy, but also you desire what is good for the one who is persecuting you. That's, that's a hard thing. But when we have been transformed you know, by renewing our minds through, you know, through Christ, it is that transformation in Christ and through the gospel that enables us to do that. That we can even desire what's good for the persecutor to the point in these verses. One of the things we're told is that we are to invoke, we're to call upon God's favor on behalf of the one causing injury. Not just for the injured, but for the injurer. He says, invoke God's favor so that you, know, you, know, you are concerned about that person's well-being, and particularly in the context, ultimately what God wants you know, for every soul is to come to him in repentance and be saved. And so we must not become callous to the joys, neither to the sorrows of others. So in these verses, I think there's some concepts that are brought out where we're being taught, don't isolate yourselves. We don't need to be isolating ourselves from others, and we don't need to be indifferent to others. And so we need to be building relationships with all men in such a way that we are not calloused and we're not indifferent to anybody's situation, but rather cultivate a, a mindset, a godly mindset that enables us to interact and to associate comfortably with all kinds of people. You know, we need to be able to have the mind of Christ that we can interact with people and touch people's lives and impact them in such a way that we perhaps can be God's instruments of leading them to salvation in Christ. Now, this involves also the whole idea of us recognizing that peace is not going to be attained, peace is not going to be maintained without a lot of work. Without, you know, and so with much effort 
on every individual's part. And you see, you know, once again, in these closing verses, it talks about being at peace with all men as is possible with you there in the 12th chapter, verse 18. And so he says, so we, we, but that's going to be done with a lot of work on the individual's part. And so each Christian, once again, you're talking about the, the, the one who is saved by faith in, because of God's grace, who is now being transformed by renewing his mind and his life through Christ. That, that new you know, soul, in a sense, renewed soul, new in Christ, that Christian, and every Christian is called to do his part in being a peacemaker. And this should not be surprising to us. Why? Because what's one of the Beatitudes say? Blessed are those who, do, who are what? And they are called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So, so Paul is not you know, saying something you know, totally you know, new and bizarre that Christ has not al- already introduced. Even James talks about how the seed you know, that is the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. But that's, that's going to take work. And so Paul is telling the Christians at Rome... And Paul, or I should say the Spirit through Paul, is telling us even still today to do the same thing. We're going to have to work at being peacemakers. And now that may be, it may mean involving, you know, giving up some personal preferences, but we need to understand that man is made in the image of God. And so we all, we need to treat all men with that mindset. That all men are made in the image of God. So treat everybody accordingly. And so it talks a little bit here in these verses about, you know, never take your own revenge. You know, there in verse 19. And so you think about this, the spirit of retaliation or the spirit of vindictiveness, that kind of attitude and that kind of disposition, it will not produce, it will not produce resolution, will it? That kind of spirit, that kind of mindedness is not going to bring about resolution. It's not going to bring about healing. It's not going to bring about peace. And so we're, so we're to put on Christ. We're not supposed to put on a mind of retaliation. That's how the world reacts. And so we need to, you know, we need to think before we act, you know, because returning evil for evil makes you what? An evildoer. That's what it does. A Christian that returns evil for evil simply becomes an evildoer now. And so we're told not to do that. We're to be peacemakers. Now that involves wisdom and work. There's a lot involved in that that Paul doesn't go into in this particular text. But he does then conclude the chapter this idea that we need to understand that we've got to make room for God's judicial authority to be carried out. We need to allow God to carry out his righteousness in his way and in his time. Why? Because God is able to do that. God is able to administer his justice through his means. And chapter 13 introduces one of those ways that God executes justice And so at the end of chapter 12, he says the new man in Christ, the one being renewed, transformed, all of that, he's going to be one that allows God to to fulfill his will and purpose in his way and his time. 
And so he says, so don't return evil for evil. Instead, good is to be returned for evil. And you do that not to increase punishment, even though by doing so you may heap coals of fire upon his head. But that's not the purpose of doing that. That's not the motivation. Oh, I want to, I want to pile coals of head on that, you know, on that man because he's done something to me, and so I'm going to do something good. Well, that's not Christ, Christ-mindedness. <laughs> you know, once again, that involves really the idea of vindictiveness. You know, so that's not the mindset. No, you're, you're doing good for ultimately why to bring about a change of heart. That's the goal. You know, just as the goodness of God shown us and brought a change of heart in our lives, through us we are to be the vessels and the instruments of God. So God through us can bring about change of hearts as well. And so it really ends kind of with the idea: don't stoop to the level of doing what is wrong. Don't stoop to the level of reacting like the world's retaliatory behavior. No, you are in Christ now. You're being renewed and transformed by the power of God working through you because of your faith in him and in Jesus Christ. And so you see these concluding, concluding thoughts of how that's, you know, righteousness is going, is going to change us when we adorn ourselves with God's righteousness. No, no, that's, that's a very quick kind of summation of those closing verses. You know, but time always gets away with me, so I wanted to go through that very quickly. Uh, so let, let's go ahead and get into the 13th chapter. I'm going to begin and do a little bit of reading here. So open up uh, Brother, Brother Reed here. And so turn your Bibles to Romans, and we're going to actually start up in verse 17 and read into the 13th chapter. Brother Reed. Uh, the peace, it's very important to uh, consider what's said before that peace that is much lies within you. If uh, somebody comes in your church mm-hmm. intending evil on you, you're not to do peace at any cost. Right. That's, that's yeah. a pacifist mm-hmm. theory that, well, the Lord's going to take care of me. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, we have verses in the Bible that tell us we not to let people abuse us. Yeah. Yeah, there's a sense yeah. of self-defense, yeah. you know, and of course. And in the context of Romans 12, that's really not, that's, you know, that's not you know, the situation he's addressing here. Yeah, uh, of the idea of uh, a proper place of self-defense. Yeah, but uh, you know, but that is that is a thought to consider. You know, understand the 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 context of peace. You know, doing what you are able to do to produce a healthy relationship with others. Anything else? All right, let's let's you know. Let's begin our reading just back in first seventy. I want you. I simply wanted us to see the, the flow of thought as chapter in twelve after chapter twelve ends. Just see how that immediately goes into the thirteenth chapter. That the you know there is a connection here. And so in verse seventeen of the twelfth chapter, it reads: Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink, and for in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Every person 
is not to be, every person is, excuse me, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the saying. But for, excuse me, it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So we'll stop our reading there and get into our, our discussion of the 13th chapter. Our weekly briefing for, for this chapter this week is simply this. Everybody who is truly clothed in Christ subjects to God's ordinances. And here in Romans 13, the point is we, we subject to uh, civil authorities in the proper way. And we rightly love our neighbors. Those are the two big takeaways in the 13th chapter. So we want to talk a little bit about those points. And so it starts off in the first seven verses talking about the role or the place of civil authority governments. And the point simply is God has established that role. You know, there's, there's a, pl- a proper place for government to exercise justice. And he makes the point that that government is a minister of justice and it's God's minister of justice. And that's why it's important for us to see, you know, this idea, okay, don't take revenge into your own hands. And one of the ways that God has allowed justice to be executed is, okay, the use of government. That's one way God, you know, provides justice. And so the renewed person in Christ is going to see the world through different lenses. The person who is renewed in Christ is going to look at the world and do so not through the world's lenses, but we're going to do so through the lenses of God's justice, the lenses of God's righteousness, and even the lenses of God's love. And so therefore, that person is going to measure worldly governments by a different standard than the person in the world. The world's going to look at governments, and they're going to see it one way. But for the one who is a Christian seeking to subject ultimately to the one who's the king of all kings and lord of all lords, you know, that person is going to look at through the lenses of Christ. And so here's Paul writing to Christians in Rome in the first century. And, and most of us know, you know, in the first century and those are the century, you know, under Roman rule, under Roman government in the world, it's a world global power, you know, and it's not the, the most favorable situation for most people. And so here you have Christians you know, under the Roman emperor, you know, living throughout the world. And here are Christians in Rome. That's the, that's the seat. That's the imperial seat of the Roman Empire. And so you could ask the question, are Christians anti-government? And Romans 13, as well as a couple of the passages, clearly teach that God says, no, you're not supposed to be anti-government. Now, think about in the first century, as particularly in the Gospels, you know, 
Jews, in a general way, not necessarily every individual, but in a general way, how did Jews feel about the Roman power? They, yeah, you know, there is a hatred there, there's a, there's a dislike, there's, there's a resentment there. That was the general feel, you know, among Jews because they were the imperial power and so they governed Judea and Galilee. And as a result, Jews, generally speaking, if you look at their history, caused problems for the Roman government. <laughs> It, it, it was not a, a good relationship. And, um, and, and I would suggest to you, both sides did not, did not like the other side. <laughs> and so, but here's the thing. If you confess Jesus to be your king, did you reject civil kings? See, that's, that's the issue. If you confess Jesus to be your king now, king of kings, lord of lords, does that mean you reject civil kings? And Paul says, no, if your mind is being renewed by Christ. If, if you're walking by faith in Christ, you're being that new man that's, that is living every day in an obedient submission to God's will. Well, no, you did not reject civil kings, even though the world's view may be totally different. And you think about it, you know, this is just a general question. Thought question, you know, what do most people even today do when there are laws with which they don't agree? What do you say? There is some kind of rebellion, perhaps, or resistance. You know, now that's a broad general. That's, every single person is not that way. But generally speaking, you know, when there are laws, and, you know, there are laws that, you, you know, that people don't like, they don't agree with. And now some laws can be ungodly laws. Uh, you know, we recognize that. Yeah. But other laws may not be ungodly laws. They may just be laws I don't like. They infringe on me in some way. You know? And so you know, what people generally, when there's a law they don't like, they, they, they don't agree with it. And so there's some kind of resentment, some kind of resistance, maybe some outward rebellion. And it could be public and it could be private. Either way. Yeah. But here in Romans 13, you know, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is trying to make the point that God has ordained, God has established that civil leaders are to exercise authority over men. God has established that. You know, now, God does not, specify, does not specify the form of government. He doesn't specify the form of government. What kind of government was you know, at play in the first century? It was an imperial government. <laughs> yeah. It was Roman rule. And many countries were forcibly made to subject to them. And God says at that time in that culture, governments, civil authorities... You know, are to be obeyed. You know, you're to subject to them because God has established government, civil authority to fulfill a role. And so there, there's all kinds of governments in the world. There's monarchies, there's dictatorships, you know, there's democracies, there's republics, there's communism, you name it. Throughout history, there's all kinds of governments and Christians can live faithfully to God under any of those and be a light to the world. So God's not talking about what kind of government is going to be best or not. He's simply saying civil authority has a role in society. 
in that God established that there, there needs to be civil leaders and they have authority to, ex, to be exercised over those under that authority. And so God has appointed the purpose of government. Okay, Chris over here, Lee. So, you know, so there's, you know, God has appointed the purpose. And first of all, he makes the point, it's, its existence comes from God. Okay, Chris, go ahead. It, this is kind of a thought question. So if we were back in the 1776 era in this country, um, the British Empire is in, in power, uh, what does this allow us to do? And it seems like what it allows us to do is to say, okay, the British are in charge right now. God put them there. And I'm not supposed to rebel. But then when the, you know, uh, the revolution happened, God had someone else in charge. Okay, now I'm here. I mean, it's the same. Whoever's in charge, we're supposed to follow. Um, but, yeah, being rebellious is clearly not what we're supposed to do based yeah. on this. That's a good, good point to bring up. You know, when governments change, then, you know, there's, still, there's an authority in there. And so we've got to respect authority. Leanne? kind of tying it all together you know god as christians we do not see uh we do not see people as people we see them as spirits we see them as god's children and um when you're talking about government even if you don't agree with them if they're not doing something to break god's commandment you you have to obey them but if they're breaking god's commandment and um, that's a different story because God's commandments always come above, above the officials. So yeah, we, yeah, we see that when, with the apostles. You know, when, when Peter and, uh, and John are you know, there in Acts, you know, being taken, you know, arrested by Jewish authorities, and they're being asked to do something that would be contrary to God's will, and they say we must obey God rather than men. We also see that in today's society. Right. And so we need to, right, we need to see God's role in all of this. Carrie over here on the other side. As you're going there, just real quick, you know, when you think about in, you know, in John 19, 11, you know, what did Jesus tell Pilate about authority? You remember what he says there? He's he, one of his part of trials. Right. He says, you know, this, this authority you have, Pilate, it's from God, you know. And so, and, and so Jesus recognized Pilate had a role here, and, but it was an authority given by God. Kerry. Well, I was just going to make a couple of comments, and, and one of them being, as Christians, we've got to understand that God is in control. Right. Mm -hmm. And that comes out mm -hmm. and that he will use one nation he will raise up a nation to bring judgment upon another nation. But God is ultimately in control. Right. And so when we look at ourselves in 2023, because let's bring it home to mm -hmm. how does this apply to us? We can see a whole bunch of changes going on in our government and how government may be or may not be infringing upon our rights. But regardless, as Christians, we have got to be in subjection to the government mm -hmm. because God has established that government to rule. Right. Mm -hmm. Was that the only? You said you had a couple of comments. Oh, 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 okay. Okay. All right. Yes. Yes. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, and so once again, you know, Paul is laying down these principles that span time. 
you know, it's not just applicable, you know, for the first century Christian. It, it's applicable for every, in every century and every, in every place of the world. And so the point, you know, so he starts, well, first of all, the idea of governance of authority, whether what kind of government it is, good or bad, you know, God has established government you know, in its proper place. And it, ideally it's supposed, you know, supposed to carry out God's means of justice. You know, you know, the point is, is governments are made up of fallible people you know, fallible humans, you know, and the result, you know, you know, governments will swerve at times, you know, from, you know, perhaps a, a just system. You know, there, there can be corruption, there can be cruelty, all of that can be all part of it, but ultimately God, and I think Carrie's right, God is ultimately in control, and we don't always understand fully what the greater picture is. But ideally, what we do see is, first of all, you know, the government is, is there for the sake of preserving order. How? Well, by, by proving what's good, by proving what's right. Ideally, it's there to promote security and well-being for its citizens. That, that God designed civil authorities for that purpose. At the same time, it's there also to preserve order, order by punishing evil. Both sides of that. You know, you have to have both. You have, you know, good is you know, being upheld, evil is being dealt with, you know. And if evil's not being dealt with, you know, even today by modern governments, we question its judicial or its, just, its system of justice if evil is not being punished, you know. And so you think governments have laws, you know. You know we may not like all the laws, but government has laws so they can govern, you know, you can't govern without laws. And those laws are going to be ineffective without the enforcement of those laws. You've got to enforce laws. And enforcement of laws involves the idea of penalties as well. And so that's brought up here when he talks about how, you know, the, the government is God's avenger, you know, against wrath, you know, upon those who practice evil. He talks in the same context, you know, he does not bear the sword, you know, for nothing. And so, you know, God has ordained, you know, governments to have the authority to execute justice and in the execution of that justice to punish evildoers even with a sword. And so you have that, all of that is being brought up you know, once again, he introduces this in seven verses, discusses all these things, and then he moves on to the next, the next you know, you know, thought. But we're not, you know, not quite done with that. I want to emphasize kind of what Carrie is saying, and that is, okay, every person is required to subject. You know, we are required to subject to civil authorities. The word shep, carry, subject carries the idea of to rank under. You know, it is a military term. You know, and so therefore it implies obey orders. You know, the idea of subject has that you know, in its root fundamental meaning. And so that's why he says here in this passage, refusal to obey what God ordained is not just resistance against the government, but who else are we resisting? God, right. When we resist government, you know, and so for the Christian that resisted Roman authority, you know, you know, laws that were there to, you know, promote good and punish evil, you know, when, by resisting that, they were resisting God. And so the question is, what happens to us if we oppose God? What, what happens if we oppose God's will? Condemnation. Condemnation. Yeah. And so this, this is a grave matter 
But he goes on to say, okay, in this idea of, of the role of government, he says, okay, you need to obey, you need to subject, and say, one, obey, so you're not punished. You, know, you, you, you want to obey to avoid punishment, also you want to obey because God has commanded it. So the idea of avoid wrath, you know, do it for conscience sake. Those are kind of two you know, you know, you know, motivations behind why to subject, why to obey, but along with that, this whole idea, since they are ministers of justice, you know, whether you're a monarchy is God's minister of justice, a dictatorship is the minister of God's justice, you know, you know, like say, no matter what kind of government, government's role is to administer justice, and so since they are a minister of justice, they must be supported, you know. and you think about that idea, in 1 Corinthians 9, it talks, you know, it's, it's not talking about government, but it's talking about supporting others is the context. And Paul uses the argument, pulling, drawing from the Old Testament, that the law of Moses instructed, by law, you know, a, a, a Hebrew in Israel could not muzzle the ox while he was treading the grain. So while he is, when he's grinding that grain, you know, or threat, or whatever, doing that work, you know, they were not allowed by the law of God to muzzle the ox. Why? So the ox could do what? So the ox, the ox could eat. Yes, that's why. And he takes that principle, and then he goes on to another principle, and he's talking about the laborer is worthy of what? The worker is worthy to receive what? Wages, income, you know, his hire. You know, and so those principles laid down there and is carried over into workers of the kingdom. But once again, here we have a point. God says, government is my minister. <laughs> you know, they're my ministers. You know, and, and we may wrestle with this sometimes emotionally, <laughs> you know, being citizens of our country. Think about our spiritual brothers of Christ in other countries who don't have the same kind of government. You know, and we may wrestle emotionally sometimes with those tough situations and tough questions, but governments are supposed to be supported. And so he says, and they're to be supported in four different ways. Tax, custom, fear, honor. Two involve money. <laughs> Two don't. Tax, what did Jesus say about tax back in Matthew 22, as you see there in verse 21, when he was questioned about taxes? What did Jesus say about taxes? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. All right? And so he was approving tax to Caesar. And the, uh, why is that? Because government is an administer of God's justice. That's the ideally God has put it there. Caesar at that time was you know, supposed to be administer of justice. Over here, Lee, Jeremy. And then you've got the other custom you know, or revenue. It's another kind of tax. Generally, that is a tax that will be levied on goods. Imported goods, exported goods. That's generally what custom or, or that kind of tax. But both are tax. That involves money. A couple Jeremy. thoughts um, that come to mind here. I mean, he, as Americans, as we sit here in 2023, and as we consider maybe our own dislike of being subject to our government, 
we're still very blessed and have many protections within our government. Right. Mm -hmm. Consider the saints in Roman times who were persecuted and executed being told, be subject to the Roman government. That takes on a whole other mindset of what it is to be subject to this harsh entity that, that seeks your life. Mm -hmm. and, and we can see from that, from that harsh government, the spread of the gospel through the world. The Christians went elsewhere. They, they, they were told to be subject to the government, but they weren't told they had to stay. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in Matthew chapter 2, when Joseph is instructed to take Mary and Jesus and go to Egypt, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're fleeing Herod, and that was God's will. Mm -hmm. And well, where I'm, I'm sure in Egypt that he was subject to the Egyptian authorities. So they were not in, these. We see examples here where people remained in subject to the authorities where they're at, but they didn't necessarily have to stay where they were. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when they could leave, they would. Uh huh. Uh, any other, other comments? The, over here, Chris. Of course, the last two you see, the idea of fear, respect, honor, you know, that does not necessarily, you know, that's not involving money. And so but the whole point is, okay, treat, treat these official of authorities in a proper way. Uh, show them the right kind of respect. But also give them honor. You know, give them honor when honor is due. And the idea of praise or commendation is involved in that. And so... You know, so we support, you, can, you support leaders financially, but also you support leaders in the kind of treatment and respect and verbal, you know, communication that you render. Chris. So the, uh, while well, we have it on the screen still, 1 Peter 2.13, uh, the New King James Version says, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So yes. as, as is, the point has been made, we should do that when... It complies with God's law, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, this one is specific, was specifically hard on me. Something for me to to really get through with the uh, with the specific subject of speeding. Um, is it okay for me to speed five miles an hour because that's when I get pulled over, or am I supposed to be following this ordinance? Right. And so that I would offer that just for just as a thought. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, how how specific are we supposed to be with this? Mm -hmm. Tolly in the back. Very good. Yeah, we need to be challenged in our view. Once again, all of this is coming out of that, as you begin in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 12, that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice that is not conformed to the way of the world, not just in action, but also in thoughts, in reasoning, but also we're being transformed. In what ways are we transformed? Well, that's what we see in chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14, all these ways involves the transformation process, and it's not always easy to do it. Um, I was just going to say in response to Chris, I mean, you know, you don't have to purposefully break the law speed to speed. Right, yes. You know, you don't have to mean to, and you just lose, you know, you just are thinking about something. And, right. Mm -hmm. Oh, my, I look down. So, you know, there has to be that obstinance. You know, if that's involved, a willful, uh -huh. that's different. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Any other? Okay. Karen, right here. <laughs> uh, something that has always boggled my mind is war. And we see all that so much right now with Ukraine, now China, Russia, and then our guys. I mean, my son served in Iraq. So I always question, we're told not to kill but we go to war, uh, we're 
you know, our military is abiding by authority, mm -hmm. but in another realm, it's against God's law. So that boggles my mind constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how are we supposed to honor, respect, whatever, mm -hmm. authorities when in war kind of situations? Yeah. I, I don't know how right. to summarize that. Right. Well, I don't have all the answers to that you know, probing question. You know. uh, we do see anything. Go back to a comment Carrie made about the whole idea you know, throughout the prophets. And God, God in, his, in his execution of you know, raising up nations and, and bringing down nations, used war. And so war, like I say, on the one hand, you've got war is involved in God bringing about justice. And, I, you know, and so, no, so I know God ultimately is control, but from the standpoint of each individual, as you wrestle with that personal question, you know, well, what can I do conscientiously? What can I do, you know, not? You know, I think that's kind of, you know, on an individual basis, we've got to wrestle each with our own faith in, in trying to answer that personally. You know, what we're willing to do and unwilling to do by faith. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. We've just got a little bit of time left. You know, about, have, did someone raise their hand? I missed. Oh, I'm sorry. You should have waited. <laughs> Looking right at you and even see I, I it. Sorry, Jason. I know I'm, I'm sure you're wanting to move on. I just think that thinking about, and when, when Kerry made his comments earlier and, and you made some follow-up, I start, thought about Titus 3 verse 1 being mm -hmm. subject to the yeah. government being in subjection to the government. We understand what subjection means through other principles in, mm -hmm. in the scriptures, being subject to the elders, being subject to Christ, all of us, wives being subject to their husbands, children being subject to their parents. Oftentimes I think we as a society lose what subjection means, especially when it comes to think, times where we feel our rights and our privileges are being taken away. It's that same principle. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I think about my children, if I set up laws within my house to say this is what we're going to do and what we're not going to do, even if they don't like them, it's their job to follow them. Um, they can't come and try to undercut me and try to sneak around the laws and try to, try to speak against me with other people and try to get things mm -hmm. going sideways in my house. That, we would never allow that as a Christian, we need to think about that same idea of what we think about subjection in other areas, mm -hmm. and do we take the same principle with our government, even if we don't agree with who the president is, right. and we don't agree with what the Congress is doing and what mm -hmm. the Supreme Court is doing, it's still our job to be in subjection as long as it doesn't take us away from doing what's right in Christ. Right, and I yeah. think sometimes we, we miss that. We lose when it's something I don't like, <laughs> And something I don't agree with, then okay, I'm not going to actively go out and try to protest against it, but I'm just not going to do it, and I'm going to speak against it. And it's like, no, mm -hmm. these are, this is God's will. Now, mm -hmm. we might not always understand it. Mm -hmm. We might not always agree with it, but that's not in the same way as my children. You might not always understand. You might not always agree, but it's your job to, to do what you're told. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Well, time is not going to allow us to cover this you know, much, but you go to the next section in verses 13 through 8, where it talks about basically, you know, love ultimately is the fulfillment of divine law. It's interesting, you think about verse 7, we're talking about rendering to what is, you know, what, what is due, and then in the very next verse, he says, okay, love is due, you're talking about, okay, you know, governments or officials are due this, and then he comes out, okay, now everybody is due love. 
And, and that includes your enemy. You go back to Matthew 5 where, in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemy. You know, and so you may be sons of the Father. And so there's a sense where, okay, you know, loving, your, you know, loving your fellow man, loving your neighbor, ultimately, you know, that, that is never fully paid. <laughs> it's, you, you never finish paying that up. You know, you know, we're always challenged to sell, excel more. The principles of this were actually introduced in chapter 12. You know, even though it doesn't say, okay, you know, what to do is loving your, you know, loving your neighbor, but the principles are already introduced in chapter 12. For example, in verse 9, it talks about the idea, cling to what is good, that's love. It talks about in verse 17, take thought for what is right, that's love. And he says, be at peace, you know, as possible with you, that's love. Or in verse 21, overcome evil with good, that's love. Those are all principles that are growing out of the ultimate you know, aspect of loving your neighbor. And particularly in this context, it emphasizes, okay, you know, love does not do what's evil. Love will not do what's evil. Love will not do what does harm. Love does not seek to do wrong to his fellow man. He treats others as God directs. That's why in the context of chapter 13, you look there, verse 9, he says, okay, you should not commit, he talks about adultery, murder, theft, covetousness. All of those sins are sins because they are violations of love. They're not wrong just because God said they're wrong. That's one reason. But they're, they're, you know, God says they are wrong because they're violations of love. They are actually a violation of the very nature of God himself. And so you think about God's laws. God's laws that specifically prohibit sinful conduct. The reason he, he says that is because that is based on love. You know, God prohibits us from certain things because the, you know, that's the loving thing for him to do. And so he says, okay, love your neighbor you know, you know, as, you know, as the fulfillment of that law. And then, once again, this is all part of the idea of being transformed. And loving your neighbors, I mean, loving sometimes a person that's hard to love. You know, it's easy to love, you know, those that are easy to love. But you got to love someone sometimes that's hard to love. Not just outside your, you know, not just in your family, but also outside your family. You know, love, love them and treat them, you know, the way God would have you to treat them. And then it ends, chapter 13 ends, we're not gonna be able to cover this you know, much, maybe just kind of begin with this last, you know, next week and go into chapter 14. Ultimately, so therefore the challenge, okay, knowing this, knowing that, okay, your duty to government, your duty to your fellow man, okay, Christians, you are called to arms. Spiritually speaking, you're called to arms. And, he's, and, and there's, a, there's an urgency about this. And it's urgent because salvation is near. You know, and so you'll, we'll kind of touch on that a little bit you know, next week as it leads into how that is manifested in chapter 14 in the treatment of brethren when there are differences among us. Thank you very much for your comments and your attention. Appreciate it. I know this is a lot of material that we're trying to cover very quickly.